Good morning. Good to see you this morning. If you're a guest of ours, it's really good to see you this morning. We're glad you're here. We hope that you feel right at home. Hey, I want you to use your imagination for me and with me a little bit this morning. I want you to imagine that you are standing at a harbor. And on the horizon, you see a very large ship traveling. And as you're watching the ship, you hear the voice of God. And God distinctly tells you the ship that you're watching is headed for a reef. And if it doesn't change course, it's going to collide with the reef and everybody on that ship is going to perish. And I want you to get in this little 15-foot John boat and I want you to go out and warn that ship. You do whatever it takes to somehow get that ship to change course. Now, you wonder, why would God be tapping me for this assignment? But you're pretty sure that it is God, and you're pretty sure that that ship is in peril. The ship is in danger. Grave danger? Is there any other kind? So you accept the challenge. You get in the little John boat. You make your way all the way out. to. You get in front of the ship. You hold up a sign that says, Reef ahead. Change course. But the ship doesn't seem to care about your little boat and your little sign. In fact, it almost cuts your little boat in two. But you're not giving up yet. You get beside the ship in your little boat. You think, well, maybe I can bump it and knock it off course a little bit. But you realize it's way too much ship and way too little boat for that. But you're not going to give up still. You get alongside the ship again and you realize, I can get on that ship. I can scramble up the side of this thing. And you find some footholds and you actually get on board the ship. You frantically make your way to the wheelhouse where the captain is. And you say, Captain, I'm on a mission from God. And God has told me that there's a reef ahead of you. And if you don't change your course, everyone on this ship is going to perish. But the captain is pretty confident in his navigational skills. And he completely dismisses you. But again, you're not giving up because you're on a mission from God. And so you start begging, you start crying, you start pleading. Captain, you've got to change course. Everybody on this ship is going to perish. There is a reef ahead. You're going to hit the reef. The ship is going to be torn apart. Finally, the captain's had enough. He tells people there in the wheelhouse, get rid of this guy. Get him out of here. Go put him down in the hold. We'll take care of him when we get to port. And you're drugged down to the bottom of the ship. You're thrown in this dark, dank place. The door is locked. And you're sitting all alone. And you hear the horrible sound of metal colliding with rock. And you realize, sure enough, the ship has indeed hit a reef. And you know it's going to be torn apart. And you know everyone is going to perish. How would you feel? How would you feel at that point? Maybe you'd be mad at the captain for not listening to you, for not taking the warning. Maybe you'd be mad at God. Why in the world would God ask me to do this seemingly impossible task? Maybe you'd be mad at yourself. What was I thinking? Why did I accept this mission? What made me think that I could convince this captain to change his course? What would you feel like in that moment? And chances are, maybe you would feel a little bit like the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. 
Now, we spent the last several weeks in the New Testament talking about stories that we're all pretty familiar with. Today, I want to spend some time in the Old Testament talking with a guy that we don't talk about very much and talking about some things that happened in this man's life that we don't talk about very much as well. The prophet Jeremiah. You need to know that Jeremiah lived in a time when God's people said, we don't really care too much about God anymore. They were on a slow drift away from God. God was not a priority. Not a big deal to them. Their leaders were corrupt. The priests were dishonest. The merchants were crooked. The people were selfish. The moral fiber of God's people was completely eroded. It was just like that ocean liner. They'd kind of set a course for disaster. And so God comes to this guy by the name of Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, I want you to go to my people. And I want you to know that I have seen their wickedness. And I'm not going to put up with it anymore. I want you to warn them. I want you to tell them that if they don't change course, if they don't repent, if they don't turn back to me, there's disaster awaiting them. And he also tells Jeremiah, listen, I'm going to be with you during this, okay? I'm going to tell you what to say. I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to give you power. You can count on me, Jeremiah. Here's the word from God. Get up and get dressed. God's speaking to Jeremiah. Go out and tell them whatever I tell you to say. Do not be afraid of them, or I will make you look foolish in front of them. For see... Today I have made you immune to their attacks. You are strong, like a fortified city that can't be captured. Like an iron pillar or a bronze wall. None of the kings, officials, priests, or people of Judah will be able to stand against you. They will try, but they will fail. For I am with you, and I will take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Okay, that's a pretty good pep talk. Okay, Jeremiah, you can do this. I am with you. Here's the mission. Here's your job. And Jeremiah accepts the mission from God. And he goes to the people, he goes to the rulers, and he tells them, I'm on a mission from God. God has seen your corruption. He's seen your wickedness. He's seen your selfishness. And you have ignored him for too long. And you need change. You need to repent and turn back to the Lord and seek His forgiveness. The people's response? They could not have cared less about Jeremiah's message. He was completely dismissed. You're not from God. We don't have a problem and we're not going to change. That was basically their response. We don't believe you're from God. We don't believe we have a problem. And we're not going to change. Jeremiah is obviously a little bit discouraged, but he's not thrown in the towel yet. He goes back to the people and he says, hey, think about your history classes. This is this is nothing new for, for us, God's people. You remember, every time we've drifted away from God, every time we've trusted in ourselves, every time we have turned to idols, there have been severe consequences. Now, we have suffered because of that. And every time we have turned back to God, Think of the ways He has blessed us. Just remember our history. Repent. Change course. And they tell Jeremiah a second time, we don't think you're from God. We don't think we have a problem. 
And we're not going to change. So Jeremiah goes back to God. What do I do? I am telling them what you told me to tell them, but nobody's paying attention to me. God says, do this. And I'm in chapter 18 now. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the shop where clay pots and jars are made. I'll speak to you while you're there. Kind of odd directions from God. He said, go down to the potter's house. I'll talk to you when you're at the potter's house. So Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house and he sees a potter working with clay. Doing the same thing that you'll see a lot of people still doing today. Putting it on a wheel, molding it into something useful. And Jeremiah is watching this potter work with clay, but the clay becomes marred. And it's not turning out the way the potter wanted the clay to turn out, so he does what people still do today. He stops the wheel, takes it, kind of all mashes it together, starts all over again. Then the Lord gave me this message. O Israel, can I not do to you as the potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. God tells Jeremiah, tell them what you just saw. You tell the people, I'm the potter. They are the clay. You tell the people that they used to be good clay. And I was making something beautiful. But they're not good clay anymore. They have deserted me. And I have the same discretion as a potter has. I can take that clay and I can mash it all together and I can start all over again if the people don't return to me. Now, back then in Jeremiah's day, nobody really liked to hear sermons about God's wrath and God's judgment. Guess what? Today, nobody really likes to hear sermons about God's wrath and God's judgment. But Jeremiah preaches the sermon anyway. I mean, he just tells it like it is. Um, this time, they don't just throw him out. They start to devise plans on how to shut Jeremiah up for good. So Jeremiah is getting even more discouraged. And he goes back to God and God says, Okay, I've got another assignment for you. Chapter 19. Go and buy a clay jar. Then ask some of the leaders of the people and of the priests to follow you. Go out into the valley of the son of Hinnom by the entrance of the Potsherd gate and repeat to them the words that I give you. So Jeremiah goes and buys a clay jar. What am I going to do with the clay jar? And God tells him to hold the clay jar above his head and throw it to the ground where it smashes into a million pieces, and then tell the people, if you don't repent, if you don't turn back to God, this is, a, this is an example of what's going to happen to you. You're going to break into a million pieces. There's a penalty that's going to have to be paid. Now, they didn't like the sermon about the uh, potter mashing up the clay and starting all over again. And they certainly don't like the sermon about the clay pot being smashed and you know, God uh, putting them into a million pieces. They don't take it well. Here's what happens. Now, for sure, son of Immer, the priest in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard what Jeremiah was saying. So he arrested Jeremiah, the prophet, and had him whipped. 
put in stocks at the Benjamin Gate to the Lord's Temple. They've had their fill of this guy, Jeremiah. Now, we have had it up to here with Jeremiah in his sermons. And so they have Jeremiah arrested. He is beaten. And he's put in stocks where everybody walks by and mocks him. It's just total public humiliation. Now, after all of this happens, he's been rejected, he's been mocked, he's been beaten, he's been humiliated, he's been incredibly discouraged and frustrated. Jeremiah starts to have a little bit of an issue with God. Now, Jeremiah starts scratching his head and saying, I distinctly remember God saying that he would be with me. And God, I remember you saying, don't worry, you're not in this thing alone. I'm going to protect you. And I'm going to be there for you. You know, God, if this is your presence and this is your protection, thanks, but no thanks, right? I've done everything you've asked me to do. And it's gotten me nowhere. Jeremiah is confused. He is upset. He is frustrated. He is angry. He has all these emotions going on. Now, stop the story right there. Stop the story right there. What should Jeremiah do next? What should his next move be? Now, maybe some of you in here can kind of relate to the people that Jeremiah was speaking to. Maybe your walk with God is kind of weak. Or maybe even non-existent. And really, you sort of need someone to shake you by the shoulders and say, hey, straighten up. No, pay attention to how you're living here. you got to return to God. you got to ask for His forgiveness. You need to repent. Maybe that's where some of you are today, but I suspect that there are a whole lot more of us that can better identify with Jeremiah. I want to do the right thing. I, I, I want to be obedient. I want to speak God's Word in the hearts of people who seem to be far from Him. But what do you do when nothing works? What do you do when you really are trying to be obedient to God, you really are trying to tell people what you know they need to hear, but nobody seems to care? And you're just dismissed or ignored. What do you do when life just keeps getting more and more difficult? You know, you're claiming the promises of God, you're worshiping God, you're serving God, you're counting on His presence and His protection, and then it feels like the rug gets pulled out from under you. You know, something happens that you never could have seen coming. We're all just one phone call away from having our lives change forever. What do you do when you say, God, I've, I've been doing what you've asked me to do and all it's brought me is heartache. And you feel like maybe God's let you down. Now, not many people do what Jeremiah did. Not nearly enough. But Jeremiah prays. But I'm going to tell you, this prayer is so different than almost every other prayer in Scripture. This is not a clean, sanitized, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep kind of prayer. This is not a fill-in-your-favorite-catchphrase kind of prayer. This is a really different prayer. 
Jeremiah's prayer is uncut, uncensored, unedited. It is brutally honest. And I think there's some things we can learn from it. So let's take a look at this prayer. This is, by the way, this is where we've been getting to. Okay, everything else so far has been context and introduction. But but I want to look at this prayer that Jeremiah prays. He just kind of pours out all these emotions to God. Oh Lord, good way to start a prayer, right? Oh Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. Jeremiah says, I've been doing exactly what you've asked me to do, and I've got nothing but heartache. You deceived me, God, and I was deceived. You are a player, and I've been played. I mean, Jeremiah just lets it fly. Hey, you know, how do you really feel, right? I feel like the Word of God has brought me insult and reproach all day long. God, this is not what I signed up for. That's how Jeremiah begins his prayer. He just kind of blasts God. And then, this is such a strange prayer, he does a complete 180 degree turn. In the very next breath, he affirms the honor of being a prophet. Verse 9, But, if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. By the way, that's the phrase you always hear out of the book of Nehemiah. Jeremiah. The fire in my bones. But no one really knows what that phrase is in context. Because he's just been blasting God. And now he says, but the truth is, I have to talk about you. I can't help myself. Kind of like we talked about Matthew last week. You know, he couldn't help himself. There's just this fire within me. I've got to talk about you. God, I I know what you want me to do, and I want to do it. It doesn't seem to be working, but I want to do it. It's almost as if Jeremiah is saying, I love what I'm doing, but I hate how it's going. I, I love what I'm doing because I really feel like I'm doing your will. At least I'm trying. But it is not playing out like I expected it to. This is a painfully honest prayer. And what you can see is Jeremiah's prayer, painfully honest prayers, are usually pretty disorganized. They're unrehearsed. They're they're pretty messy. Because from here, from saying, man, I love doing what you want me to do, Jeremiah starts sharing these intense feelings of loneliness. Look at his next phrase. I hear many whispering, terror on every side. Report them. Let's report them. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he'll be deceived. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. Jeremiah says, all of my so-called friends, they're all just waiting for me to crash and burn. I don't have any friends. No one cares about me. No one knows what it's like to, to be doing what I'm trying to do. No one knows my pain. No one is on my side. Anybody here relate to that? You ever feel like you're trying to do what God's called you to do, but boy, am I the only one? 
And then right after he says these words, he pinballs another 180 degrees. His very next phrase in his prayer. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. Now he started his prayer by saying, you deceived me and I was deceived. He's bounced around a little bit. Now he says, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Now, all of a sudden, Jeremiah is praising God. Now there's this like the explosion of adoration. And you listen to him bouncing back and forth. He goes from questioning God to praising God, from blaming God to trusting God. He has all these emotions that are tied up in this prayer. And then right after he talks about God being a rescuer, he bounces back to complete and total desperation again. Cursed be the day I was born. Right after he says, sing and praise, you know, give praises to God, he says, cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Listen to this. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, a child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in the womb. With my mother is my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Did you ever hear anybody pray from here like that? Cursed be my birthday. And the guy who told my dad, hey, congratulations, well, curse him too. That's Jeremiah's prayer. Man, you know, you hear that. You hear Jeremiah praying this prayer, bouncing all around, and you think, Jeremiah's lost it. I mean, just he's had some kind of an emotional, some kind of a mental, a spiritual meltdown. Jeremiah's gone around the bend, right? He's had some kind of a breakdown. He's losing it. Listen, I don't think Jeremiah was losing it at all. I think Jeremiah just really understood the character of God. And I think Jeremiah understood that God was a safe place to land with all these emotions that he had and all this chaos that's going on in his life. You know, I am confused I am afraid. I am frustrated. I am mad. I want to praise you. I am obedient. All these things, and he just, he just lays it before God. And Jeremiah seems to understand, God will let me do that. God's okay with that. God is the refuge to seek in the middle of all this mess that's going on in my life. So my question for you is, Are you that convinced of the character of God? Are you willing to be that brutally open and honest with God? Are you willing to pray really messy prayers to God? Now, some people say, no, no, you can't do that. You can't talk that way to God. 
Newsflash, God knows your heart. He knows exactly what you're thinking. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows your fears and your frustrations. The psalmist encourages us by saying, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him. For God is our refuge. Jeremiah was willing and able to get really open and honest with God. He poured out his heart to God. And it seemed as if God was okay with that. God's not afraid of our honesty. God can heal your heart if you speak honestly to Him. And God desperately wants His relationship with you to be authentic and real and deep and meaningful. You know, our Christian walk isn't something we're supposed to document. It's supposed to be something we experience, right? We live it. We feel it. You go back to Jeremiah's painfully honest prayer. He concludes that prayer you know, by cursing his birthday and cursing the guy who told his dad he has a son, wish I'd never been born. He gets all that out. He just unloads on God. You know what God's response was to all that? That Jeremiah is just, you know what God's response was? Basically, God's response was, okay, Jeremiah, are you finished? Because it's time to get back to work. Basically, what God tells Jeremiah, I've heard what you've said, now get back to work. Because there's still people that you need to talk to. There's still work that I need you to do. And if you read the book, that's what Jeremiah does for 32 more chapters. He gets back to work. And he does exactly what God has called him to do. But here's the funny thing, and it's not funny. I don't know if it's ironic, I don't know if it's sad. Things never really get better for Jeremiah. Read the book. That's why we call him the weeping prophet, I guess. Things never really get better for Jeremiah. Now, he, he lived an amazing life. And I believe he did run with horses. But his life never got easier. I don't think any of us would call his life comfortable. Now, God never said your life was going to be easy. He never promised that the Christian life was a pain-free proposition. Just the reality of us living in a sin-infected world. You need to know that going forward. But I will tell you this. Jeremiah learned some things about himself. About his faith. About his convictions. He learned some things about the heart of God. The character of God. I don't think he ever would have learned had he not endured the things that he endured. And I think there was a relationship proven by the prayer that Jeremiah prays that this prophet had with God. I think because of his life that he led, he had a whole new perspective about faith and life and who he was and, and who God is. Final question. When's the last time that you prayed and Uncensored, unscripted, unedited, uncut, painfully honest prayer to God. When's the last time you just got completely honest with God? Or Jeremiah said, I'm going to risk it. I'm just going to put it out there, God. And what Jeremiah found out was that God is bigger and more compassionate and more gracious than he ever could have imagined. 
And the relationship that Jeremiah has with God is so deep and so authentic. You know, maybe this morning there are things in your life that have been festering for decades. You should have dealt with it 20 years ago, but you never have. You just don't talk to God about it because it's hurtful and it's shameful. And so you just kind of ignore it and you ignore God. You know, don't be afraid to pray boldly to God. And maybe it's unorganized, it might be disjointed, it might be messy. Listen, God does messy really well. Don't be afraid to pray messy prayers to God. And when you do, listen. Listen to what God has to say. Listen for His challenge. What comfort, what correction is God speaking in your life? God wants our relationship with Him to be as real as we can possibly make it. And then more. As real as He and the Holy Spirit can make it. Now you're getting into a level that's hard for us to imagine. But we've got to be open and honest about who we are and what we're, what we're dealing with. Several years ago, uh, Amy Grant released a song that uh, kind of talked to, to what God does and what we take to God. Um, I loved it when it came out. It's still on my playlist. I still like it a lot. And she talks about our struggles when we're confused and, and we go to God and, and we go to God in heartache. The name of the song is Better Than a Hallelujah. I'm sure a lot of you know it. I thought about playing it this morning. decided not to. I'm certainly not going to sing it. But let me share with you a couple lines from her song. Check it out on YouTube. It's, it's, it's really a beautiful song. She said, God loves a lullaby and a mother's tears in the dead of night. Better than a hallelujah sometimes. God loves the drunkard's cry. The soldiers plea not to let him die. Better than a hallelujah sometimes. The tears of shame for what's been done. The silence when the words won't come are better than a hallelujah sometimes. And the chorus goes like this. We pour out our miseries. God just hears a melody. And the line that, that really hit me, beautiful the mess we are. The honest cries of breaking hearts are better than a hallelujah sometimes. That's the God we serve. That's the God we pray to. Beautiful the mess we are. The honest cries of breaking hearts are better than a hallelujah sometimes. If you look at the life of Jeremiah, I think if we could talk to him, Jeremiah would say, my life's kind of a mess. I desperately want to please God. And I'm trying to live in God's will, but my life is a mess and my heart is breaking. Maybe you can relate to that. I desperately want to please God. You do or you wouldn't be here today. But maybe today your heart's breaking. And you don't know exactly what to do with that. And you want to take it to God, but... But you don't know exactly what to say. You know, the Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit is going to help you. You just pour out your heart to God. Because God is still the cleanser of the messes that we make.
He's still the forgiver of the sins that we commit. Follow Jeremiah's example. Just pour out your heart to God. Confused. My faith is kind of shallow. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm desperate. I'm hurting. But I'm praising God. And I want to please Him. Take all those emotions to God. They're better than a hallelujah sometimes. As a church family, if we can help you with anything that's going on in your life, with prayers or praise or, or any way that a family helps a family, give me some people at the front of the auditorium. Come and meet us there. Let's stand and sing.